Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church podcast. It is our desire at the Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, the Anchor podcast features Sunday sermon. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now, let's get into the word. Jesus, thank you for your word today. Lord, we come hungry. God, we come expecting. Father, we ask, God, that just literally every part of our being that needs to connect with you in this moment would connect. Father, we have, uh, we have given us ears to hear. And so, Lord, we thank you, God, that our spiritual ears as well as our physical ears are hearing your heart today. Lord, we pray that your word, uh, God, would come as revelation. It would come as life. And, God, it would direct us today in ways that it never has before. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So listen, if you guys uh, know, for the past few Sundays, uh, we've been focusing on the the significant role that the Word of God plays in our lives. We're going to continue to run in that uh, direction this morning. And actually, I want to start by reading maybe an unusual portion of Scripture out of 2 Kings. has to do with King Isaiah. And uh, so let's look at it together. 2 Kings chapter 1, starting off in verse 2. It says, One day Israel's new king, Ahaziah, fell through the latticework of an upper room at his palace. And was seriously injured. Watch what he did. So he sent messengers to the temple of Belzebub, the god of Ekron, to ask whether he would recover. I want to hit the pause button there just for a moment. Just if you can get the picture. Here is the, the king of Israel. This is the king of God's chosen people. He somehow falls out of a window, gets mortally wounded, and rather than inquiring of the Lord, as you would expect him to do about his health, he orders his men to travel to Ekron, which is uh, 40 miles away, basically to seek an answer from this God called Belzebub. Okay, now if you're sitting here and you're like, I've never heard of Beelzebub, don't have a clue who that is. Beelzebub was one of the gods of the Philistines, and really that word has two meanings. The first one is this, it's Lord of the Flies, or you can say Lord of the Dunghill, or Lord of Filth. How many of you guys know that's an awesome God to have? Yeah, and the, and the second meaning of that word is this, it's Prince of Demons. Now we know, uh, according to Matthew chapter 12, what Jesus actually called Satan, Beelzebub. And so that's who we know we're talking about here. We're talking about Satan. Now let's look at where uh, the king actually sent his servants. He sent them to Ekron. Like I said, that was 40 miles away. Uh, But what I think so interesting about that is, is the name Ekron, that word, it actually means barrenness. And now we know that, uh, you know, we don't call anything barren unless it's incapable of producing life. And so kind of when you pull all that together, uh, what I'm hoping that we would see today is that here's the king of Israel. He is choosing to look to the devil for answers about his life in a place that is incapable of producing life. Right? And so when you look at that, you're like, man, how does God feel about that? Well, obviously, he didn't look at it, you know, favorably because we know in verse 3 it says this. It says, But the angel of the Lord told Elijah, who was from Tishbe, go and confront the messengers of the king. Get that. He said, go confront them. He didn't say, go have a nice little cordial chat with them. He didn't say, have tea with them. He said, go confront them. And here's what I want you to ask them Is there no God in Israel? Like, man, he's saying, am, am I not right here, right? He says, why are you going to Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, to ask whether the king will recover? Now, therefore, this is what the Lord says. In other words, if the king wants an answer, I'll give him one. He says, you will never leave the bed you are lying on. You will surely die. Not your encouraging word there, right? It says, so Elijah went to deliver the message. And, uh, and so kind of 
read between the lines here, we know that obviously here's the messengers. They're going to Ekron, and as they're on their way trying to make this 40-mile journey, uh, Elijah intercepts them, and he gives them the word of the Lord. And, and he simply says that at that point, the messengers obviously turned around. They went back home. We know this because verse 5 says, When the messengers returned to the king, he asked, Why have you returned so soon? In other words, it should have taken you longer to take an 80-mile trip. And they replied with this. They said, A man came up to us and told us to go back to the king and to give him, that's you, this message. Then they repeated what Elijah told them. They said, This is what the Lord says. Is there no God in Israel? Why are you sending men to Beelzebub, the God of Ekron, to ask whether you will recover? Therefore, because you have done this. If we can maybe let those words right there sink in a little bit today. Therefore, because you have done this. Which means... Obviously, that there could have been another outcome if he would have went about it in a different way, right? And then it says this, because of you have done this, you will never leave the bed you're lying on and you will surely die. And then the king responded and he said, what sort of man was he? What did he look like? And they replied, he was a hairy man. Yeah, I love that description. It says, and, and he wore a, a leather belt around his waist. And the king said, Elijah from Tishbe. If I can pause there for a moment. The, the, the fact that the king immediately knew who they were talking about shows that he wasn't making the decisions that he made out of innocence and ignorance. It means that he knew that there was a God that was available. Instead, he chose to go basically to Satan for an answer. And then it says this. This is how the king responded. Says then he sent an army captain with fifty soldiers to arrest him. Says they found Elijah sitting on top of a hill. The captain said to him, "Man of God, the king has commanded you. Get that? The king has commanded you to come down with us." But Elijah replied to the captain, "If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and destroy you and your fifty men." Then fire fell from heaven and killed them all. So the king responded by sending another captain of fifty men, and the same thing repeated itself. Right? They commanded. Elijah said, not coming, fire fell, right? And then he sent a third group, but instead of this time, you know, the fire consuming them, the captain wisely and humbly fell on his knees and he began to plead. We see this in verse 13. It says, oh man of God, please spare my life and the lives of these, your 50 servants. Then the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, go down with them and do not be afraid of them. And then it says, so Elijah got up and went with him to the king. It says, Elijah said to the king, this is what the Lord says. Why did you send messengers to Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, to ask whether you will recover? Watch this next statement, guys. It says, is there no God in Israel to answer your question? So if we can, just for a moment, to make this personal and bring it home, like whatever town you live in, like right now we're sitting in Rockport, so we can read it this way. Is there no God in Rockport to answer your question. It says, therefore, because you have done this, you will never leave the bed you are lying on. You will surely die. So Ahaziah died just as the Lord had promised to Elijah. Pretty sobering passage of Scripture. Yeah? So, listen, when I, when I read this portion of Scripture the other day, I immediately thought about how Ahaziah's decision was really, uh, man, it's a lesson to every single one of us. And the lesson is this, is that any time that you and I choose to look for an answer really apart from God, it's never going to produce the life or the results that we desire, right? Now, when I'm saying that, I recognize that most of us are never going to look for, you know, life's answers from quote-unquote Beelzebub, right? Uh, but, but if I can make that maybe more modern, like we're not going to look towards things like astrology, witchcraft, tarot cards, Ouija boards. We're not going to have a seance, right? But because hopefully we all understand that that's like, you know, knocking on the devil's door and sitting at his table asking for advice, right? 
But nevertheless, kind of what I felt impressed by the Lord when I was reading this the other day is that I needed to ask you a question. So just imagine, if you will, for a moment, this is me and you sitting down talking. Here's the question that I would ask you is that when circumstances or situations arise in your life that demand an answer, because how many of you guys know that there's situations come, we have to have an answer, right? So when that time comes, where do we look? Where do you look? Do, do you automatically look to God's word because you recognize, like Elijah said, there is a God among us? Or do you choose to look elsewhere? If you're awake, say, oh yeah. <laughs> Listen, in my opinion, it, it doesn't really matter uh, you know, what category of our life that we need to answer to. The bottom line is, is man, it could, be, it could be about your singleness in this room if you're single. It could be about your marriage, kids, grandkids, right? It could be about your education. It could be about your career. It could be something about your money and your relationship. It could be about your purpose. Or it could be pain that you're trying to process through in your life. Like literally that list could be a mile long, but whatever whatever it is, what I'm trying to get at is man is can can I just encourage you today to look in the right direction. Right? See Hebrews 12:2 tells us this. And I think this is great wisdom for us. It says looking unto Jesus. Like enough said. Looking unto Jesus, right? Who is Jesus? We know he is the word, right? The beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. So there's this key of, yes, looking to Jesus relationally, but also looking to Jesus in the word. Why? Because he is the author and the finisher of our faith. Now, if I can maybe expound on that for a moment, the word looking there in the original Greek language simply means this. It means to look away from everything else in order to look intently on one object, See, it signifies this thing about us living a life where in key moments where Jesus has our undivided attention. It actually means if you keep looking at it, it means you have eyes only for him. So in other words, I think when, when questions arise in our hearts, because they are, like what's going to happen that moment? Are we going to be drawn to the other voices and all the distractions that are trying to talk to us, tell us what to think, tell decisions to make that are opposed from God? Are we going to look away from all those things in order that we can see and hear the one that really holds all the answers? Because see, guys, really it's a matter of trust. Do you trust him or not? Do I trust him or not? Do I really believe, do you really believe that he knows us better than anyone? Do we really believe that he knows his plan for our lives really from the beginning to the end, that he's got it? So, like, let, let me mention one more thing before I run off in a different direction. Because really, when I was praying and preparing and doing all this, like, my mind went to all these, literally the last hundred years. Like, I thought about all the Christians when uh, Corey Tim Boom, kind of her story. I thought about all the Christians that, were, that lived in Holland that, that basically uh, said no to Jesus and yes to the Nazi party because they wanted to preserve their lives. <laughs> Right, like I thought about all the all the Christians that were there in Brother Yoon's time. If you've ever read the Heavenly Man, how many of them that said, you know what, nope to Jesus and said yes to this state church that the government was running? Right, like I thought about all those people. If you read uh, God Smuggler with Brother Andrew about all those uh, Eastern Europe nations where he was going to smuggling Bibles in those places, how many Christians he saw that were saying yes to the Communist Party there and even in China, right? That that were like, man, I I I don't want that. I, I wanna I wanna preserve my life, right? I want comfort in my life. I want these things. So they said yes to this and no ultimately to God. You can go to Richard Wormbrandt and Romania and all that where, where uh, they said yes to, to the church, literally said yes to Joseph Stalin, 
right? And not Jesus, right? You like look at all that history. So, and even in this, I know it's not super popular to say these days, but if you fast forward today, even though the the consequences are a little bit different, obviously, because we're not getting rounded up and getting killed. But, but at the end of the day, how many Christians are saying yes to a woke culture right now and saying no to Jesus? Like, it's happening, right? And so, so I just think this. It's like if history or current events can teach us anything, it's that when Christians take their eyes off the truth that's found in God's word, they're going to eventually make the same mistake that Isaiah did, right? They're going to end up searching for answers about life in places that only produce death. That's what's happening, right? And so we need to do our best to go, you know what, I'm going to only have eyes for Jesus. I'm going to keep my eyes on him, keep my eyes on the word, and I'm going to look to him for my answers. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, so let's shift gears a little bit. Um, As I'm saying this, I realize that a lot of people don't naturally go to the Bible for answers. In other words, their their natural response is to go to these other things. And one of the reasons why they don't naturally go to the Bible is because, first of all, they think it's maybe too hard to understand. And so they're just like, man, I read it and I'm lost. There's people that view the Bible as some rigid rule book, and and they really just want to have fun. They want to be free. They want to live their life, and so they don't dare open its pages. There's people who think, well, that book was written so long ago. uh, It has zero relevance to my life, so it can't speak into my life. Life. Like there's people who even go, you know, it's a whole lot easier to, uh, you know, get my cues from the culture than it is from God. So why would I read it? I, I'm really just looking for permission to do what I want, and I don't want to hear something that I don't want to hear. Am I making sense? And, and then I recognize that there's people that say this, and this is really where I think a lot of Christians land. Okay, y'all listen. It, is it's a whole lot easier to go talk to a person than it is to God, because that God stuff takes too much time. I got things to do, right? And so what we'll do is we'll phone a friend, right? Or we'll go watch a YouTube video or do something and we'll get somebody else's answer to their problem, but we never connect with God and get our own answer. We just borrow everybody else's. Am I making sense? And then I think there's people that, okay, lastly, like why do they not read the Bible? It's because basically on their their life experience, they, they just go, you know what? I'm not even sure if I can trust the Bible, Okay, and I got loads of compassion for, for that person in that situation, right? But, but I want you to know today that wherever anybody lands in here, like whatever your view of the Bible is, like I simply want to, in a really easy, practical way, just assure you, man, the Bible is truly God's Word. Like it is the Word of God. Like this isn't just some ordinary book like all the other books that are in, you know, Rockport or Camden Library. Right? Like, man, this is God's greatest gift to us, right? Outside of salvation. It was given to us for our benefit. Y'all realize that? This book is for our benefit. Because why? Because it's full of God's heart where he's trying to help you and I actually move out of darkness into light. He's trying to get us to move from death into life, right? And so literally every page of this book is true. All scripture is God-breathed, right? So to understand that it's full of God's thoughts, it's full of his wisdom, his power, his authority, his plan, and even his heart for your life, right? And so what happens is, is when you open this book, understand like approach it with this kind of faith. Man, as I open this today, God's going to speak to me directly and personally. How come I can be sure of that? Because he is, right? Because it's his word. So as we read it, he will impart revelation to you. He will cleanse and restore your heart, right? Your mind. He will build you up. He will encourage you. He will invite you in to have a, you know, share his divine nature, right? That like he's going to do that. That's what Peter says. And so it's not even that he's just going to answer your questions about life. He will show you how to live an abundant life if you just press in, right? So, like, I can tell you from personal experience, 
that every time I read this book, I recognize that there's an opportunity for a divine exchange to happen. Like every time that I start reading, what happens is, as I read and he begins to move supernaturally and begins to exchange stuff that I'm holding on to with something that he wants to release to me. And so, you know, that could be a variety of things. It could be, yes, my unrighteousness for his righteousness, right? It could be my pride for his humility. It could be my insecurities for his security. could be my rejection for his acceptance. Like, it could go uh, in a thousand different directions, guys. If you're like, if I'm worried, man, there's peace. Whatever it is I need, if I need vision for my future, he'll give it to me. Whatever I offer him in an honest and sincere way, Lord, I'm wrestling and I'm struggling with this. God is more than happy to do a divine exchange with me and give me what I need. Amen? Amen. So really what I want to ask you today, do you recognize in your life anywhere that you could use an exchange? Right? Like if I go back, very angry young man, one of the things I need to exchange is I needed the love of God in my life. Right? And as I read this, and I'll tell you maybe more about that in a second, that, that literally there was this exchange as I gave God my anger, my bitterness, my hardness of heart, all those things. Jesus came and he, and he gave me love, right? Gave me grace, gave me mercy. It's pretty awesome, yeah? But let me say this. That exchange cannot happen unless we're willing to open the book. Like I said it last week, what's one of our biggest hangups? We just don't read it. How can I say this? Strong words, kind of foolish, to expect God to open up the, the, the supernatural world to us if we don't even read the book, right? And so I just say this, like, man, he will reveal answers to you if you just look to him. All right. So with that said, like, just in prayer, one of the things that was in my heart is, like, I didn't want anybody to leave the room today thinking that, okay, this is just some, some distant book that, you know, it's a rigid rule book or it's just hard to understand. Like, I, like for me... It's important that you leave today understanding the benefit of this incredible gift, right? And so what I want to do is just as I prayed, there were certain metaphors that the Bible uses to speak about itself that God uses to refer to his word that I want us to see the benefit of it through that lens. And so let me give you a handful here and I'll try to go quick. Uh, The first one is this, is that the, the word of God is a fire and a hammer. I love that. It's a fire and a hammer. That might be my aggressive side, like in the hammer part. But, but Jeremiah 23, 29 says this, God talking, is not my word like a fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. Now, I, I don't know what comes to your mind when you hear that, but when I was in prayer this week, my mind immediately went back to when I was a little kid. We had a few times, like my family went once, and I went on a, a school field trip. We went to this place called Taney Hill State Park in McCullough, Alabama, right? And so we went there, and I remember, you know, going, and you could feed some deer, and uh, I remember petting a squirrel, and, you know, uh, whatever, right? And, uh, but to me, one of the coolest things about going to that state park is when they, when they let all of his kids go over, and the blacksmith began to do his thing, right? And it was so awesome. He would basically show us this, this piece of iron that, you know, was pretty much pointless. It was just kind of long and skinny. And then we'd all watch him as he would put it into his fiery furnace and he would get it super hot, right? And he'd pull it out and it was, you know, fiery orange, whatever, right? And then he'd put it on his anvil and he'd take his hammer and he would start hammering that piece of iron. And we would all watch him in amazement as he took this thing that was basically useless and he reshaped it and he made it something useful, 
right? Now, now, obviously, we know that Jeremiah 23 is speaking about the power of God's Word and the ability that it can change any situation, even the most difficult situation. It can change the hardest of hearts, even if it's rock hard or whatever situation, like it can break through things. But I also believe he wants us to see this morning that there's this thing called the fire side of God's Word that will melt and soften even the hardest spots of our hearts. Right? So that he can come back through with a hammer like a blacksmith, right? And he can begin to reshape our hearts to make it something beautiful and to make it something that's of use in the king's hands. Right? And I can tell you from personal experience, like I just said, coming to the faith, right? Growing up in a household, nobody said those three words, I love you, wasn't uttered. Okay? All they did was scream and cuss and holler and beat you. Okay? That's the world I grew up into. How do we handle conflict? We just screamed at each other, right? If it got to a point, we hit each other. That was the way of life, right? So that was our love language, physical touch. <laughs> so, so that's how I grew up. Well, so I got saved, and, and, and man, I just like beat up everybody. And it said now it wasn't cussing. I was using the Bible, right? I learned the Bible, and I'll beat you with the Bible, right? You're going to get saved, right? So, so that was the approach. What happened was... It's about four or five years into salvation. I landed in that church in North Carolina, like I told you the other day. And, and, the, and this pastor began to talk about this thing called the love of God. And it made me feel really weird. Right? Like I didn't like it at all. I told you all that. But what happened was, is I would go to the Bible and I would try to be like, is he right? <laughs> and he was right. Man, the love of God was in there. And there was this thing called grace. And there was this thing called mercy. And there was this thing called loving kindness that made me feel really weird, right? And, and what happened was, is I began to read that and read that and read that. And then it went from reading to I began to pray those scriptures to then I began to confess those scriptures over my life to then it got to the point where I actually started to believe in them. And those things took up root in there. And what happened was, is, is it began to, how can I say this? God began to uproot all that hate and all that anger and all that frustration, all that mad at the world he uprooted all that, and he began to plant his love, his grace, and his mercy, right? And so once again, what did he do? He melted away the hard parts, and he began to reshape, basically, my heart. Amen? So, so listen, your, your deal today may not be like mine, but more than likely, it's somewhere, right? And so, so if we're willing to submit to the fire and the hammer, God will reshape. And in fact, he'll do what he says here in Ezekiel 11, where he says, And I will give them singleness of heart and put a new spirit within them. And I will take their stony, stubborn heart and give them a tender, responsive heart so they will obey my decrees and regulation. So good, right? Second symbol I want us to see is this. It's that God's word is a mirror. It's a mirror. Now, as we discussed, I think it was last week or week before, I can't remember at the moment, obviously James 1 says the word of God's a mirror. And I recognize that more than likely, uh, every person in this room, you, you will go and stand in front of a mirror uh, you know, more than once a day. If you don't go do it more than once a day, you probably should. And, uh, but, but it's good to go stand in front of the mirror. And, uh, but the reason is because it helps us to see what we can't see otherwise. Right? Like, do I have some food in my teeth? Is my hair or my clothes a wreck, right? Like it helps me see. So the mirror, what it does, the purpose of it is it allows us to see ourselves like we really are, right? And so if you flip that, spiritually speaking, that's exactly what the Bible will do. It helps us to see ourselves not like everybody else says we are, not, maybe not even how we see ourselves are, but, but it begins to show us how God sees us, right? That God's word truly reveals to us 
what we look like. In fact, I, I love, you know, when I think along these lines, I automatically connect a verse, a uh, prayer that, that David prayed in Psalm 139. To me, this, this shows the mirror where he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Now, I don't know if you've ever prayed a prayer kind of like that, but every time I have, almost inevitable, uh, man, there's something I'm reading in the Word, and God throws up His mirror, and I see something in my life that I didn't really realize, right? I see that spiritual booger, if you will, okay? Sorry, I'm a dude, okay? All you ladies are like, mm. Mm. So, anyways, so I, I think this, if I can just kind of remind you, okay? Let's get practical here real quick. If you go to the mirror and you see something that's out of sorts, do you just kind of go, who cares? Right? Or, or do you're like, oh, I'm glad I saw that. I need to address that, like, right now. Like, anybody ever been there? Yeah, four of us. Awesome. Okay, so, so to me, it's like, what's the goal here? Like, what, what's the goal? It's like, when God allows us to see it, whatever it is, like, we need to respond to it by adjusting our lives to fit the word that we received. So that can be in the sense of where maybe he's revealing sin in our lives or revealing a mindset that he doesn't agree with. Or maybe it's him going, hey, no, 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 no. Look, look, you're loved. You're my child. You're the beloved. You're these things. You're the ambassador of Christ. You are, and he begins to say who you are. Whatever category that fits in, the goal is, is, okay, how can I come in alignment? How can I come in agreement with that? The third symbol I want us to see is that God's word is a lamp. Like, have you ever found yourself in a position in life where you're like, what in the world do I do next? Let me help you. I'll make you feel bad here. If you haven't done that, you're probably not pursuing God. Because God has a great way of going, okay, he got you that spot. Okay, now you're going to have to seek me to find out what's next. Like, he's really good at that. And I think in those moments where you're like, okay, Lord, what's the next step in my life? It's good to remember Psalm 119. Most of us can quote in the room. says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Like, that's good news. Like, I, I don't know if you've ever found yourself uh, walking in a dark place, but, man, it, sometimes it's good to have a good flashlight, right? Like, there's times where a handful of us in this room where we've went up in these mountains that are around here because we're training to go into backpacking country, and what's happening is we're walking in the dark with 55, 60 pounds on our back, and it's, and it's dark, and we're on one of these, say, Ragged Mountain or whatever, and it, that, that little bitty light that you got on your head is a significant benefit to you. Right? Because it's that little light that keeps you on the trail. It's that little light that keeps you from falling on your face because you tripped over a rock. That little light is handy, right? And so the same thing when it comes to the Word of God, right? The light of His Word, man, what does it do? It shines light in the midst of darkness. How many of you guys know we do live in a dark world? Right? We need light, right? So also the light of God's Word, when things are unclear and I don't know what to do, it exposes what's around me, good things, but also things that are dangerous. It guides me and it gives us clear direction. And my point is really is the Word of God is there for us because it helps us to see where to step next. See, the Bible tells you and I in Proverbs chapter 3, it says this. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways, and he will make your path straight. That is the inaction. Right? The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 21, that simply says, if you start straying to the left, you start straying to the right, that you'll hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. That is the headlamp of the word of God that's showing you where to go. Here's the fourth one I want to tell you about today is that the word of God's a cleansing water. 
Have you ever been in a spot where you're like, man, I'm filthy from head to toe? When I think about that, my mind goes back to me being a kid and all those times that me and my brothers, because I have four brothers, that we went out in the woods, we did something, whatever, riding four-wheelers, whatever it was, and we came back home, and we were just filthy, literally dirt all over. So all those times that we didn't get to play, but we got sent out there to, to work in the garden, right? So we're tilling dirt, we're digging in the dirt, whatever. All those times we went to go slop hogs, and you got, you know, pig stuff all over you, right? Or all those times we went to go bell hay, all that stuff. I can't tell you how many times we came back home, and all of us literally standing at the door because we knew it was time to eat dinner and our parents looked at us and said yeah you're not coming inside right and literally we would have to stand out in the yard and they would take the hose and they would and we just watch dirt and mud right let's also install in your hair and it all just kind of washes off of you like that's what Jesus does right like I don't know about you but when I came to Jesus that's the way I looked like I had dirt and filth all over me, right? And thank God that when I began to read the Bible, something powerful began to happen, right? Not just reading it, but memorizing it, meditating on it. God began to wash me with his words. Why it says in Ephesians 5, verse 26, it says that he might sanctify and cleanse her. Who's her? That's you and me. We're the bride of Christ, right? How's he cleanse us? With the washing of water by the word. Y'all see that? says that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. says, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Thank God that the word cleanses, right? And, and I'll say this, and not only because I think so often we think, okay, the water of God's word simply just washes off like the filth from us. But I want you to know, man, like if you, if you sit under that waterfall enough, man, like he'll restore stuff too. He'll give you innocence back, your purity back, right? Like he'll, he'll wash off like hurt. He'll wash off rejection. Like I can vividly remember, you know, once again, being this young guy growing up in this household, you know, when I got saved, man, I struggled with rejection like hard, like really, really, really bad. You know, I felt like God loved me because he had to, not because he wanted him to, right? That's truth. And, and so I remember one day, I, you know, I'm sitting there, first year Bible student, and, and we, you know, I think we had 300, 400 verses we had to memorize our first year, and, and it was whatever, our weekly, you know, uh, Bible memorization, and the scripture was Isaiah chapter 41, verses 9 and 10, and if you read it, it gets down to verse 9, I'm just trying to memorize it because I'm trying to pass the test, and, and it says, in, at the end of verse 9, it says, I have chosen you, and I have not rejected you. And I remember take, like hearing that and just being like stopped in my tracks. And I began, God, I thank you that you have chosen me and you have not rejected me. And as I prayed that scripture and the rest, where, where it literally says, Do not fear, for I'm with you. Do not be dismayed, for I'm your God. I will strengthen you and uphold you with my righteous right hand. Right? Like I got this vision of how God viewed me in that moment, and it began to break rejection off of me. You see, so often, the reason I say that is because so often we think about what God wants to remove from us, and we forget what he's trying to add to us. Right? Like the Bible is equally as much as what he wants to remove as what he wants to add. And that's not bad. It's good. Amen? For our benefit. The next thing is this. Is obviously we know that the Bible is spiritual food. It says in Deuteronomy 8, Jesus said in Matthew 4, but he said this. So, talking about God, that he humbled you and allowed you to hunger. In other words, he allowed you to get hungry. That he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Like the parallel is pretty easy to see here. In the same way, if we dropped you off somewhere and gave you no food, you know, in a short period of time, you're going to die. 
You need water and you need food. You need sustenance to live. In the same way, it's like your spirit man needs spiritual food if it's going to not only survive but thrive in what God's called you to. And so we got to eat. And what do we eat? And we eat in God's Word. Right? And here's the cool part that I want to tell you is that a lot of people, they look at God's Word like it's just a pile of liver and onions. Right? It's, it's, it's a bunch of Brussels sprouts. If you like liver and onions, y'all are weird. Okay? Let me tell you that because that's gross. I'm a redneck, and I don't even eat that stuff. <laughs> so listen what the Bible says about itself, Psalm 119. It says, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Pretty good, yeah? yeah. Jeremiah 15, 16 says, your words were found. Jeremiah said, I found your words, and I ate them. Now watch what happened. And your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. The last thing I want us to see is that the word of God's a sword. We know in Hebrews 4.12 it says, For the word of God's living and powerful, sharpening a two-edged sword, is piercing even the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner. The word discerner is where we actually get our word umpire from, if you're a baseball fan. And uh, basically it's the umpire of thoughts and intents of our heart. Tells us what's right and wrong. Now, let me say this to you. Like, I believe that God takes his word and he actively and intentionally cuts off dead areas of our lives. Like, I believe that. But, but I also believe that God wants you and I to recognize that he has given us the right, the covenant right, to actually take the word of God and to wield it as a sword against the enemy. Right? And so what happens is, is I think so often, is we just, because of things we've been taught, we just read the Bible and that's as far as it goes. And we don't really understand the full armor of God and the purpose of the sword of the Spirit. But I want you to know today that, man, it is God's intent when all hell breaks loose because he's given you authority, he's given me authority, is what he said in Matthew 28, right? That at that point, that you and I actually take the word of God and we use it as a weapon against the enemy, right? In other words, you know, so often... Attacks come from the enemy and people go run and basically get in their corner and cry. They call somebody, right? They, ooh, they go and they give somebody a bunch of money to give them counseling. And I'm not saying things wrong with that. But I'm saying that there's an answer that God has given us through the word where we stand our ground and we fight. Now, if I can give you an analogy here. That it's not that that moment happens. Say we know in Matthew 4, right? To say this, give you a little biblical background here. Satan is obviously coming. He's tempting Jesus. And how did Jesus respond three times? He didn't say, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I know there's temptation there. I'm going to, I got to make a Google search real quick. What's that verse I need to say? <laughs> he didn't, he didn't call his mama. Hey, mom, devil's here tempting me. What should I tell him? What should I tell him? Huh? You know, he, so he didn't, he didn't like phone a friend. He didn't, he didn't do a Google search, you know, whatever. He didn't say, let me go dig in my concordance. No, 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 no. There was something that was already inside of him that flowed out. The devil tempted. He said, it is written. Devil t- it is written. Flo- it is written. It came naturally flowed out of him, and the enemy left him alone. And so my point is, is that you and I got to get proficient enough in the Word of God that it becomes second nature instead of having to try to figure it all out and, and scrambling, that it just naturally is boiling up in our heart, and it comes out of our mouth like a sword, and it does damage to the enemy. Y'all realize that? Amen? We are supposed to be dressed for battle, Yes. Yes. Amen. All right. So let me say this and we'll get done. 
if you're sitting here today, you're the only one that really, really knows if you're getting to reap the benefits of the Word of God or not in your life. Like, nobody really knows, not even your spouse really knows if you are or not. So the question I have is just that. Can you be honest with yourself, and, and can, you, can you say, I am genuinely reaping the benefits of God's Word in my life? Okay? And let me say this, because I recognize that in the room, we have people who have been walking with Jesus a long time. We got people in the room that's got real depth to their walk with God. And then we have people who are really, really just getting started. There's even people in the room that aren't even sure if they want to get started yet. Okay? So, so we got people all in different facets of that. And I just want to say this. If you are getting started on your journey, um, the only way that you're really ever going to know, because I, I read this Bible a little bit before I got saved, and it didn't make a lick of sense to me. And then I gave my life to Jesus. And then what happened was, is I realized, man, the only way I'm going to understand this Bible is if I begin to connect with the author. And so I begin to do what us old saints in here know how to do, is I begin to pray and read. And as I pray and read faithfully, daily, what happened was, is, is revelation began to come I began to understand the Bible. I still don't understand all of it, but I understand a, a large part of it. And, and then what happened was, is, is God began to reveal himself through these pages. I began to understand his heart, his character, his nature. But once again, God can't do that for you unless you're willing to take that step and start doing what he gave you. Right? Am I making sense? You can think about whatever incredible gift that it would be for somebody to give you and all the, you know, the dreams of what you could do with that thing. But if you actually didn't take the step and do something with it, it's useless. So you can have a stack of these in your house, but if you don't read it, it's pretty useless. Amen? All right. So let me say this for you guys that have been at it a while. Um, I know what it's like to get to a spot where you're like, whoa, I've read this Bible so much, I'm just kind of getting bored with it. It's okay to say that. Maybe you've never been there, but I have. Okay? And, and what happens is, as I, I've learned... You know, typically when, when that dry season's there, it's because he's wanting me to dig deeper, right? He's pulled the water of the word back a little bit to force my roots to go deeper. And as I've said, you know what, I'm going to stay at it. I'm going to stay faithful. Even though I'm bored as all get out, I've read this only Jesus knows how many times. And as I went, okay, I'm going to read, I'm going to read, what happens is, is it gets fresh again, Right? And, and so I, I guess what I want to tell you guys is this. has been at it a while. Stay at it because we need you to be fresh and we need you to be ready. Like if you can understand that you have a responsibility. I'm going to talk to the old saints for a minute. You, you, you have a responsibility, I believe, every Sunday morning. And that is this. Have you came today prayed up and ready to rock and roll with Jesus? Because if you have, it's going to open up the atmosphere for other people to receive. Like we all have a responsibility in that. It's not just, boy, I hope that pastor prayed this morning. <laughs> I did, right? But, but sometimes it takes more than just me, right? And so in the sense that when you come here to understand that not only here but in this community, we need you to be fresh and ready because there's people who need to be discipled. And if that water is stale as mosquito stale in you, right, if it's a cesspool inside of you and not living water, then nobody's going to want to drink from it. Right? So stay fresh because there's people to be discipled. And I promise you, because we live in a place where it's beautiful, but there's a real enemy. 
So we need y'all to know how to wield your sword, and we need y'all to know how to fight, because there are victories that still need to be won. Amen? Am I making sense? So the question is this, is once again, all right, so obviously the title is the answer, is man, when questions rise, where are you going? Okay? And are you reaping the benefits of the word? Amen. Father, thank you for today. Lord, I thank you for every person that's here. Uh, Father, I recognize that sometimes hearing something like today, there can be mixed emotions. Uh, Lord, there can even be maybe feelings of guilt and shame that are attached to it. God, that's not the purpose of today. Father, it's simply to encourage us to go, hey, man, let, let's, let's go after what God's given us access to. And so, Lord, I pray that we would hear it from the right heart and the right spirit. And, Lord, I just pray in Jesus' name that we would simply uh, allow your word to be who and what you want it to be to us. And, Lord, I pray, God, that in a, in a day and age where a lot of things are trying to grab our attention, Lord, that we would just simply and consistently run to you. Because, Lord, we truly believe you are the answer and that nobody else has it. And so, Lord, we love you. Thanks for helping us in those things today. Lord, if we're here today and we're like, man, I'm not right with you, Lord, I thank you that it's just one turn. Jesus, I need you. And, Lord, you'll meet us right there. So, Lord, thank you for that today. In your name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week and God bless.